0: Hey, my whizzes, you are listening to episode 77 of the Food Biz Wiz podcast. In today's show, I am joined by Kimberly Murray, an Atlanta-based photographer and product stylist who specializes in food, products, and interiors. I had the pleasure of learning from Kimberly in July of 2020 when she presented at a virtual food photography summit. In that training, she taught the audience all about flat lay styling. And once I saw her, I just knew that she had to come on the podcast and share her knowledge with my audience. And you will soon hear why I was so drawn to her. So if you are a listener who knows that images help you sell your food or beverage products, you are going to love today's episode. We're going to talk about planning your imagery, hiring versus DIYing, what equipment you might need to up your photo game and how to make your images stand out. We are in for a good one. So keep on listening. You're
1: listening to Food Biz Wiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow and scale your business. You'll hear real life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching
0: sessions. Let's get going. This episode is supported by Canva, one of my favorite online tools for creating beautiful on brand sell sheets, promotional materials, social media posts, website graphics, and more. I use Canva Pro every single day in my business, and I love that I can save my brand colors, my fonts, and my templates on their platform. It takes the guesswork out of designing graphics, and it saves so much time as my brand elements are at my fingertips. Since their launch in 2013, Canva has helped more than 15 million users and claim to have a design made on their platform every 30 seconds. That's nuts. Try out Canva today by visiting the link in my profile and start creating beautiful on-brand designs in minutes. Welcome, Kimberly. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat today. My pleasure. Okay, so my whizzes, like I said in the intro, if you are someone who knows that you've got to up your photo game this year, this episode is for you. So, Kimberly, we we've got a lot to cover today, so let's get right into it. I know that you came to photography from an unconventional background, and I I want to start right there, knowing that like a lot of our listeners come into the food industry through or on a cir- circuitous path, and might relate to your story. So Kimberly, if it's okay with you, let's, let's start there. Tell, tell my listeners what you studied, like how and how it led to where you are now. Sure, Um, I guess I do have somewhat
1: of an unconventional background for commercial photography. I actually have a master's and PhD in clinical psychology and a second master's degree in biostatistics and my professional life has spanned many different areas including being a college professor as well as an academic researcher. But I've always kind of had an interest in creative pursuits, and I felt free to pursue them alongside other endeavors. So alongside those more heady kind of topics and fields. And so before I <laughs> was a photographer, I was also a jewelry designer, and I also took some courses in interior design as well.
0: Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. You, I feel like you're yes. a, a modern Renaissance woman. <laughs> Thank you. that, That makes sense too. Like I like, I like the idea that you, you know, were spending your day jobs like doing this heady stuff, this stuff that was like really, really intense. And then you found this creative passion on the side. I love that. Yes, totally. Thank you. And you know what? And I feel like all of those experiences
1: really come into play as a photographer and they influence the way that I work and the way that I also approach my work. And I would say that um, most notably, as someone who is trained in psychology, and more specifically clinical psychology, I really think about what motivates people and what Mm -hmm. they want, which is really beneficial when creating images for clients that will resonate with their target audience. And then psychology also allows me to establish rapport with my clients and ask them the right questions that will bring their ideas and their vision to life. And you know and I when I think about it I think that my background in psychology has also taught me these various principles of perception if you will that's helped me in styling images hmm. and being able to direct the viewer's eyes to particular parts of the scene.
0: Yeah, oh my gosh. I I love that connection and it's it seems so obvious when you say it, right? It's like photography is all about, you know, in my mind it it's about um saying someone saying something to someone through an image right and so yes. coming at it from this um psychology background of who am i talking to what right. are their desires and how do i convey that through imagery feels that that feels so obvious yes exactly kimberly we talk a lot about target audiences both mm-hmm. in retail ready my online course and then certainly here on the podcast um and i'm I'm going off script here, but I'm I'm glad okay. that you bring it up with with photography too. Thinking that you you've got to have an image that speaks to a particular audience. Um, yes. I don't think I've heard photographers say that so much uh, before. Oh, really? Okay. And
1: I think it's really important to know exactly who your audience is so that you're conveying the right message. Yeah,
0: yeah, that makes so much sense. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about preparing for the photo shoot, like preparing for for capturing images in a bit on the podcast. But before we do, let's... I, I want to, I want my listeners to know exactly what you do now. So I found you through this virtual summit. I know that your one of your main offerings is this flat lay play course, which, you know, if my listeners are familiar with retail Ready, they, they already understand the concept of a digital course. Tell me, tell me like what you do now in your day-to-day and what flat lay play it's.
1: Yes. So, in my day to day as a photographer, because I also still do have a nine to five job. I was wondering as,
0: that. Kimberly. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yes. So I have kind of that traditional, so to speak, job, and then I also have uh, my my creative business. And so as a commercial photographer, as you mentioned before, I photograph food, um, interiors and products and really just love that. Like that's where I kind of come alive when I'm in my studio space and kind of creating these images for for clients. And then I'm also um, an educator. So you mentioned Flatlay Play. And that's my online course that's designed to teach my students the ins and outs of Flatlay Photography So we cover everything from styling, photographing, and troubleshooting your next flat lace shoot. And it includes a lot of different kind of learning modalities. So for Mm -hmm. those who like to read and for those who like to watch and learn by viewing demos. So their instructional videos, their activities, their worksheets. And then I also include some styling demos. So it's almost like my students are right there alongside me as I talk through and go through the actual motions of styling different images.
0: Oh, that's so cool. And I love, I'll just say, I love that you're also bringing like your, your background um, in realizing that people learn in different ways, right? So you've got yes. the text, you've got images, you've got video. i I just, I see this thread of your life so, so clearly like tying into what you're doing now. So, um, (laughs) so if someone's listening and they're like, okay, Kimberly, like this all sounds great, but what the heck is a flat lay? Can we start there? Like what, you know, I, I think my listeners have may have heard this term before, especially with, you know, like the rise of the Instagram aesthetic, but what's flat lay? Yes.
1: A flat lay is simply any image that's photographed from above. So before flat lay became kind of the, the it term, people might've talked about a bird's eye view. So Mm -hmm. it's essentially just an image that's photographed from above.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. And so I, we see this a lot in food, right? My mind is going to this, like, you know, colorful background and, you know, yes. a coffee bag spilled over with beans flowing right. out and, you know, a little <laughs> mug and a spoon and blah, blah, blah. So um, yeah. So flat laid, just, just an image that is captured from above. I love that. That's exactly, easy.
1: Exactly. Yes. Um,
0: when I think of flat laid too, I specifically with you, I think about that image that you did with the broken eggshell and and the high heel. And I think that that's such a great example of a a beautiful piece of work that I'd love to, to link in our show notes if you're okay with that. Oh, thank you. Totally. Yes. And I love that piece. And I actually on my
1: website, I break down that image and show kind of a behind the scenes of how it all came together as well. And one of the things that I really love about that particular image is that it shows that you don't need a lot of props and a lot of things to kind of make an impactful image.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, you've probably, you know this by now, but Kimberly, I'm realizing as we talk this out, it's hard to talk about images on a podcast. Right, I want to like show, show people (laughs) these images. So all I can say to my listeners now is click through, right? Click through to the show notes and you will know the image that we are talking about. But it's, um, Kimberly, I I love that image too and seeing the behind the scenes of it because you explain like how you got this full, you know, full image of eggs and how you used, you know, something simple. Like you were, it was, I don't know, like a, like a poster board or something to make it happen. So I loved it. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Let's get into it. People are, people are ready for the learning here. So first I want to talk about the preparation that Mm -hmm. goes into capturing beautiful images for food and beverage brands. So can we can we talk like what do you do before a photo shoot? I'm a planner. So so tell me about how I plan for success here.
1: So before a shoot, I like to think through exactly what it is that I'm trying to communicate through my imagery right and I think this is important for businesses to consider as well so it's like what why are you creating those images what about the food or product do you want to showcase right is it the functionality is it how it works or should be used is it the overall vibe or how it fits into someone's lifestyle is it the flavor profile is it the packaging you know, if you think about all those different kind of things that might make an image come to life, then you also need to think about what is the best angle to actually showcase that product or food. Like I'm drawn to flat lays, but flat lay may not be the best angle to showcase Mm. your particular food or beverage, especially if you're trying to show the height of an object, or if you're trying to show, you know, a particular package and you don't necessarily want to lay it flat. But but there are different um, angles that work best for different types of food or different types of um, beverages. So I'd say the first thing is that I like to kind of think through what it is I'm trying to communicate through my images.
0: And I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that sure. goes back to the target audience, right?
1: It does. Totally. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I identify my target audience I uh, and I figure out like, what the heck am I trying to say to them through this image? You know, I I feel like that's a, That, you know, when you say it, that's a no brainer step, but I feel like that's one that gets skipped.
1: Yes, yes. Because sometimes I think that we can have an idea of what makes a beautiful image to us and kind of Mm -hmm. what our own aesthetic is, and that may not appeal to our target audience. And so it's important to kind of keep your client or your customer first before you start designing um, and creating your images.
0: Oh, I'm glad you bring this up, Kimberly, because I'll tell you. So okay. I I started running paid advertising in mm-hmm. 2020 and I, I hired an agency to help me with it. And, you know, we have to do a lot of creative testing to, you know, find images and find videos that work for my audience. And Kimberly, yes. I got to tell you, I had to... I had to put my ego aside because mm-hmm. the images that resonate with my audience tend to be images that I don't like very much okay. and, yes. and they're kind <laughs> of like funky food images. And mm-hmm. there was, there was, a, I don't know, a couple of weeks when I was, I, I really had to push, push my ego aside and say like, Allie. It's okay that the professional photography of you and your smiling face at your desk yes. is not what lands with your audience. <laughs> and the like funky photo of the like jam in the ball jars is, is what mm-hmm. lands with them. Um, right. Uh, I think it's, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up, that, that it's not, a, it's not about us. It's just about exactly what, what our audience wants to see. Hmm. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and it's, it's right. Set our egos aside. Yeah. It was hard, hard for me. I'll tell you, Kimberly, it was hard. It was hard. No, for it's me hard there. for me
1: too. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm holding so tight, even sometimes, you know, when you create a collection of images for a client, for example, mm-hmm. and there's one that you're like, oh my goodness, I love this. And then they don't select it. And you're like,
0: oh my goodness. you're like my favorite why you, one. Yeah, why didn't you select number 53? That was my right. favorite. Uh, okay. I can really see that. I can really yes. see that coming up in your work. Uh Do you, and at that point, like, I'll just ask, ask, like, do you guide the M do you guide the client back to that image? Like, would you ever say like, I really think you should pick, you know, proof number 53, or do you just (laughs) let it go?
1: So I think it's a a mix. So Mm I, if I have a clear understanding of what they're seeking, all of the images that I create should fall within Right. That realm, right? Yes. But sometimes I might um, suggest to them a particular image that they didn't initially gravitate towards if I see another use for it. So sometimes clients are just thinking about Instagram, for example. Yep. And then I might say, oh, but there's space that I've left for copy. And so this would be really wow. great if you wanted to include a message on it later on. Or sometimes clients might want to include a recipe directly on top of the image. And there are certain kind of layouts that work best for that. And so, you know, I tried to guide them towards having a collection of images that can be used in different ways. And so not just yep. thinking solely about Instagram, for example, but also like your website <laughs> right. banner or, you know, what have you.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that so clearly ties into, you know, the first thing you said was, you know, the first step in planning is planning your you know, the angle that you're trying to get at. And I mean, both from a emotional level and like literally like what angle you're shooting from. And then the second one, or what I hear you saying, is is really thinking about where the images are going to be used, whether that exactly that is on your website where it's a banner image that needs to be shot, you know, with a wider perspective or, you know, the for that square for Instagram or, you know, something for a newsletter or like whatever it is. Exactly. And so and it's
1: important to have that that understanding and that knowledge up front in terms of whether you want to photograph vertically or horizontally, for example. Um, In my shoots, I try to photograph them from a lot of different um, orientations. So Mm -hmm. not just thinking square, but also thinking vertically or horizontally so that you do have those various options. But it's important to have that information up front. And then if you need specific dimensions for your your banner header, for example, on your website, that's important to know too, so that as you're styling, those important elements of your scene will fit within whatever kind of dimensions you need them to fit mm-hmm. within.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense because I I can imagine that frustration where you spend all this time setting up the photo shoot, you, you shoot, you know, all afternoon and then yes. <laughs> two weeks later <laughs> you're looking through the shots and you're like oh shoot I don't have an image that that fills this need that I have right, right now in my business. That sounds that sounds very frustrating. <laughs> yes so, indeed. <laughs> so Kimberly let me let me clarify here. So okay. Is it as simple as writing a list and then having that list printed out as you do your your shoot? Yes,
1: yeah, so I I would say it can be as simple as that, right? So I often start with an inspiration board and I think that that's, you know, one of the probably the first things that I do. So after I kind of have a sense of why I'm creating those images and I have a clear sense of my goals, then I think about how I'm going to kind of communicate those messages. And that's where I think the fun really comes in and that's when I start to visualize the images. And so for me, it's helpful to start with gathering inspiration images or starting a mood board specifically mm-hmm. for particular shoot or it might be a campaign or it might just be for the overall visual strategy. and then those images become part of what I also have alongside my shot list. Ah, and that. yes, and I think it's really important to have that mood board or those inspiration images kind of in front of you as you're shooting and also that shot list, of course, because I think it's so easy to get distracted. you know, kind of what we were talking about <laughs> before. it's yeah. this, it's easy to get distracted by all the beautiful and unique images that we come across. On, on Instagram or print media, and they were like, oh, I want to do that. Yep. But it's important to kind of step back and think about whether this fits within our brand, and whether it fits within the visual strategy, and what we've decided we wanted to communicate for that particular shoot. And then I do have a shot list that I have alongside kind of that inspiration um, board mm-hmm. that has the angle that I'm going for, for that particular image, I might sketch out, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a rough Um, version of like a line drawing of that particular image that I want to then translate into a photo. And then I have a list of the props, the backgrounds that I'm going to use. So everything is kind of planned out in advance. And so it makes it cuts down on some of the thinking that you have to do during the shoot, because there Mm -hmm. are other things that will pop up and you'll need to kind of have your mind free
0: to troubleshoot right. any photography related. issues <laughs> right. that the, kind of coming. the inevitable that comes yes. up as, as you're shooting. That's interesting. I, I love the idea of sketching it out like pen and paper on a little scratch yes. pad. We talk mm-hmm. about that in Retail Ready for our sell sheets, where okay. you know if you're not someone who I don't know if you're not someone who likes to play around in, in design or like mm-hmm. maybe you're just getting going with Canva, like right. like literally drawing it out pen and paper can be really, really helpful. So I can see so clearly how that translates to, to photography as well.
1: That's smart. It can. It can. And it's it's also great because with a pen and paper, you can have to take that anywhere and you can just be like sitting in your bed at night and an idea pops up and you just grab that pen and paper and start sketching out those ideas. It's it's really a great, it's great tool.
0: I picture I'm like fast- forward to myself like having a okay. sticky pad, like sticky notes yes. on my bedside table. <laughs> I'm just like sketching away in the evenings. Um, I love this idea.. Okay, okay Kimberly, anything else yes. we do to prepare ahead of time? Um,
1: yes, I would say maybe the last thing I'll mention is really just carefully selecting the props. Mm. because especially with food and beverage and any product um, shoot, really, it's important that your props don't overtake your product and steal Mm. the spotlight from your product. And so just really carefully thinking through what props will enhance, what
0: props I would say, if any, will enhance that particular image. How do you know, how do you know what props to use? Like, how do you know if you have something that's too much or distracting?
1: A lot of times it's really subjective. You know, I think sure. that I'm, I'm a less is more um, kind of girl when it comes to just styling. So you don't see a lot of very busy scenes in mm-hmm. my work unless it's, you know, meant to really tell some intricate story. So I think that as few props as needed Got to it. kind of put the product in context. Yep. So there's no hard and fast rule. Some people really love tons of props and then some people have a more minimalist approach.
0: Yeah, and I'd I mean, say neither
1: is is wrong.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I I, I love that answer. Like it, it anything <laughs> goes as long as it works for your your brand. Right. Great. Okay, Kimberly, we have covered a lot of great information already. I'm going to have us pause right here for a quick break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about hiring DIY equipment and all of that. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Food Biz Whiz is supported by Canva, my favorite tool for designing on-brand graphics for my business. I love it for my web graphics, my podcast graphics, and for my social media posts. And my clients love it for their sell sheets, trade show materials, shelf talkers, and promo kits. You are going to be blown away by how easy it is to use Canva, and I can't wait to see what you design. Try it out today by visiting the Canva link in my show notes and get to designing beautiful graphics within minutes. Okay, Kimberly, we are back. And I want to ask you a question that I bet my listeners are are thinking right now. So they're like, okay, Kimberly, you sound great. You sound okay. wonderful. It sounds like you <laughs> yes. know what you're doing, but you know, Kimberly, I am not a professional photographer. I okay. am running my food business, <laughs> yes. you know, all day, every day. Should I hire a photographer or should I DIY this, like how do how do I choose um, okay. when I'm bootstrapping my business? Yes, that's a great, great question. So I think
1: that there are pros and cons on both sides, right? yes So a professional photographer is more likely to have the equipment and knowledge to execute the shoot efficiently, and they're also well, they might be skilled at styling because not all photographers have styling skills. So sometimes mm. you might have a photographer on set, and then you might have a stylist on set, and then you might have a prop stylist on set, which is different from the person actually styling the scene, Somebody who brings in all their props. So you might have multiple people on set, or you might have a photographer who's also the stylist and prop stylist. And so if you have kind of that one-stop person then that person can help to translate the client's vision into these dynamic images that sell because they have the knowledge and equipment and skills at the ready. Um, But I think the downside is kind of what you mentioned, especially if somebody's bootstrapping their business, that there's a cost for that expertise. And then there's also the time that the photographer needs to learn the client's business. And then your desired photographer may not be available for your shoot. So you might have a specific schedule maybe for Mm -hmm. a launch and then the photographer you want to hire is not available. So there are pros and cons for a professional photographer, but also, you know, conversely, businesses know their ideal customer, they often know what they want, um, even if they can't articulate it, because I often have clients tell me that they can't describe what they want, but they'll know it when they see it.
0: Right. (laughs) And and then that sounds frustrating, Kimberly. (laughs) It can be. And I, what I often do is then
1: try to ask questions to kind Mm -hmm. of pull out what it is that they see in their mind that they can't quite articulate or ask to send some images. And this is really important. I'm glad that you, you mentioned that comment because I have my clients send me inspiration images before, you know, I start their shoot. And then I add my own to it and create a mood board for them. But sometimes those images are so different that I can't really tell what is the unifying theme across all these images that they've gathered. And so that's when I might sit down and say, okay, so you sent this image. What is it that spoke to you about this particular Mm -hmm. image? And then as you piece together those different kind of responses, then you can get a clearer sense of what it is that they, they actually want. So it's a, it's a whole process.
0: <laughs> well, I think I, <laughs> I imagine that yes. that process sets mm-hmm. you up for success. Right. And it does. And so I think about these, I think about my listeners who, who are like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm a business owner who has identified that I'm not, I'm not going to DIY my own photography. Like I'm going to, I'm going to hire it out. And Kimberly, right. it sounds like one of the the key things in finding the right photographer is is finding someone who does have that onboarding process where they're getting to know you and your brand and the images that you like, and you don't like, and, and someone who, who will take that time, although it might be a little tedious at the beginning, but -hmm. who will take that time to develop the relationship with you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I also think about this. I also think about the the foodpreneur who wants to do a combination of both. You know who who wants to do some DIY and some yes. professional photos. Have you seen that that work or not work in businesses?
1: I have and I think that it's really important to to kind of have that combined approach right because if you also know how to create your own images then you can create images at any time that you need them you don't have to wait to get on the photographer's schedule if you have a campaign coming up you can kind of lead you know factor that into your lead time and you're kind of more in control of of things if you're able to also DIY some of your own photos and I think that it's possible to do that once you learn Kind of these key styling tips and tricks and develop a go to formula. So once you develop a go to formula that works for you and that works for your brand, it becomes easier for you to kind of create these images quickly. And then that can cut down on costs. And then I would say that sometimes people save um, their projects that are for professional photographers for maybe a larger campaign or Mm -hmm. maybe they need. Kind of higher quality files for their packaging, or for a magazine, or yep. for some yep. you know particular purpose. And so, you know, right. I think there, there, yes, there are definitely right.
0: times when a combined approach works best. Right. Like, it might be fine for me to use an iPhone photo on my Instagram feed, but right. I'm going to want that high res, potentially like p- p- professional photography for my website, right? Um, Yes, because sometimes if you have an iPhone photo, and this isn't always
1: the case, because it also, which maybe we'll get into later, will depend on your lighting, etc. But sometimes your phone image looks clear at a small size, but Mm -hmm. once you blow it up, you notice that it's kind of grainy and, you know, not necessarily um, the best. And then, of course, though, you know, as we talk about the pros, you know, to DIYing, you know, there are also some cons, because if photographing and styling your own product and food is not your thing, then it can become tedious. And then it takes yeah. away time from other aspects of your business. And so you may want to outsource your photography for that reason, so that you can focus on what you do best and kind of leave the photography and the styling to someone else. And also the the need to buy any sort of equipment that yeah. you don't already have it yeah. already.
0: Absolutely. And I, I love that you bring up that point, Kimberly, like there is something that's so powerful about working in your zone of genius yes, right, right. Yes. realizing <laughs> that i you know i am a really great salesperson for my beverage brand but i'm mm-hmm. not a great photographer and that's okay right like right. go exactly. hire a photographer like that is that is 100% fine yes all right <laughs> i like this okay so for those those listeners who, who are like okay i'm motivated i'm going to try this diy thing Yes. Where, what equipment do they need? Do they have to buy a $2,000 camera? They do not need to buy a $2,000 camera, although they certainly can if they <laughs> if they choose to. So I'd say
1: that you can create beautiful images with your cell phone camera or with your, you know, DSLR, like a Canon, Nikon, Sony, whatever, the bigger $2,000 plus camera Sorry. Yes. Right. <laughs> and so, but I would say the one piece of equipment that, is essential, regardless of whether you're using your cell phone or a bigger camera, I would say is a tripod or a C-stand. And those come in handy for a variety of reasons. And I would say there are three main reasons why I would say that a tripod or C C-stand is absolutely essential. Okay. I want to hear your three reasons, but tell okay. me, tell me what a C-stand is. Yes. So a C-stand is a piece of equipment that is used to hold a variety of different things. So you can attach lights to a C-stand. Mm-hmm. You can attach a reflector to bounce light back into your scene. And over the past, I don't know how long, but mm-hmm. recently and mm-hmm. probably the past several years or decades, people have also attached cameras to the C-stand for overhead shots. And so uh,
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: I started okay. out using a tripod for my overhead shots on my flat lays. And now I use a C stand for those shots, but both um, work.
0: Yes. Well. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I have, you know, I've tried to do the flat lay thing too. And been like, how yes. do I get my hands in the image when my, like yes. when you can see the tripod in my image? Like, I don't, right. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> and so you're telling me the C stand is the, the key to my success there. Potentially. Well, potentially, although you
1: can, and that's one of the the reasons I was going to say to get a tripod is to be able to get your hands mm. in the shot to add that human element, and you can actually achieve that with either a tripod or a C stand, mm. depending on your tripod and how low you have it to the ground and gotcha. whether the legs are getting in the way of even your background and your scene. Yeah. Yep. And
0: yep. so,
1: yes, yeah, so a tripod is very helpful to help you get your hands in the shot because you can put your camera on the self timer and kind of slide your hand in right before the shutter releases. And yep. it's, you know, a great way to kind of add that human feel to it and that touch to it. It, and sounds, to personalize. Like, it sounds like I need to take flat
0: lay play and <laughs> understand <laughs> how to do this. <laughs> um, gotcha. Okay. So yes. tripod, C stand. Um, I know people are going to be like, okay, Kimberly, but like which tripod, which C stand do you have, do you have a go-to or really is it just you know, go on, go to your local camera store, go to Amazon, you know, you,
1: you, well, it can be a little of that. And I also um, put together um, an essential flat lay toolkit that has the exact model of tripod and C-stand that I use. And I also have that information on my blog as well. And so the ones that I know to work well, I use a Manfrotto tripod and they're kind of like state-of-the-art and good for the industry. And they have different Manfrotto tripods at different price points. So you don't have to buy the $400 one. They have lower... <laughs> perfect Once that I have a lower
0: cost. And so and I can, then, I can see why people are like I'll just hire the photographer cuz if I'm yes. I'm buying the tripod for a couple hundred bucks, I'm, you know, buying the the flat lay backgrounds, like, you know, it yes. all adds up.
1: It can, it can add up. It can add up. yeah
0: And so yeah, so I have the exact
1: models if folks are interested um in my flat lay toolkit that's on my website and it's free. Okay, free for awesome. you can download and kind of see everything.
0: Okay, um, wonderful. We'll that link I that use. in the in the show notes. Um, awesome. Fantastic. Yes. Anything else, any other essential, essential things that Um, you want to talk about for the the images or for, you know, the equipment for creating those images?
1: I do. And I also want to just talk about a couple of other reasons why you should use a tripod as Mm -hmm. well. So there's the getting your hand in the shot, but also it also helps with stabilizing your camera so that you don't end up with blurry photos, which nobody wants, right? So you (laughs) want your images to look sharp. And sometimes if you're hand holding those images, I mean that, that camera, then you're camera might shake a little bit and then you get a blurry shot. Um, And then it's also helpful so that you can maintain your vantage point while you're styling the scene. So, you know, styling is kind of like a dance. And so you move this piece here, you move that piece there and it's this ongoing process, but then sometimes you land on, you know, a scene, a styles, you know, composition and you think to yourself, okay, I love this part. I love the right side of the frame. Everything is exactly where I want it. The left side, mm, not so much. I want to make some adjustments. Mm -hmm. And if you have your camera on the tripod, the right side stays exactly the same. It's untouched. You haven't recomposed the shot by moving the camera. And then you can adjust the props or products on that left uh, side. Yes. And so it's really, really handy just to keep that vantage
0: point. Right. As opposed to holding your camera and right. then you've got to try to get back into that same exact um, stance or from that exactly. same exact, you know, viewpoint to right. create what you love so much. Oh, yeah, exactly. Kimberly, when you say it, it seems so obvious. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> and then oh. your back is killing you as you're hunched over, you know, holding your camera. As yes, well. I've,
0: I've heard that photography is surprisingly physical. Um, and oh, my god, Photographers goodness. are you know really tough yes. really yes really, really tough yes <laughs> we are <laughs> okay so, so we've got our yes. tripod yes and then i would say
1: a level especially for flat lays hmm. and your cell phone you might have a built-in level and or you can download a leveling app and then if you have kind of the larger DSLR camera then you can buy an inexpensive leveling cube that sits on top of your camera in what's called the hot shoe. And that's that place where you might attach Ah, a flash to your camera. And that makes sure that ensures that your camera is directly overhead and level before you start shooting. Because for me, there's nothing worse than, and this has happened to me before. So I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) You know, I've, I've styled the scene. I've taken a shot. I've edited it. And you know, cleared the scene because I'm like, "Woo, I'm done. This is a yep. brilliant shot." And then I look on my computer screen, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, it's, it's not it's straight." Not, it's and not it's straight. driving me crazy that it's not level, and it's and you know, and you can't, you know, I can't unsee it once I've seen that it's right. not straight. It's like, oh, if I had only taken those few seconds to make sure that my camera is level. And so the leveling cube, I always attach it. That's the very first thing I do before I even start styling the scene is to make sure that my camera is level. And I pop that little yellow square on top of my camera and, and I start, I start
0: off. Oh, that's such a great tip. And, and I know exactly what you're talking about. It's really, it's really frustrating when you don't have a, a level image. You're right. Yes. Once your eye sees it, you can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. And then I would say the last thing
1: is just a tethering cable. And that's just a cord that you attach from your camera and it leads to your computer. And that allows you to see your images on a larger a larger screen. And it also can help you to transfer your images automatically so you don't have to download them to your hard drive and then right. upload them to your editing software and, you know, what have you. And so I like to tether during all of my shoots because it allows me to see my styling adjustments in the moment in real time before I even
0: press the shutter. So, oh, tripod so level I love that. Cable. I love that. Yeah. It's like, why the heck are we looking at these tiny screens right. <laughs> when the images yes. are going to be, you know, on a website or on a newsletter, or like yes. you know, much larger than our, our little tiny camera, you know, right. Camera screen. I love that. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Good ones. And, you know, like I said, Kimberly, we will link that, that full list of your flat lay checklist, um, in the show notes. I think that's going to be really helpful for my listeners as well. Okay, cool. So I've got, I've got one more question here before I let you go. And I, I want to talk about the challenge that Mm. is social media, the challenge that is, you know, the internet, uh, the challenge that is the whole food shelves, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, It's hard to stand out. It's, it's a busy, busy world out there. And I, I think one of the, the challenges that I hear from, from my students is that it's, it's really hard to cut through the noise and it's hard Mm -hmm. to stand out whether you're thinking about, you know, in the feed or on the grocery store shelves. So do you have any suggestions on how my listeners can make images that that actually stand out that like stop someone from scrolling as they go, go through Instagram. Sure. Um, I think that one thing
1: to do is to master the art of storytelling Mm. and you can do that through the careful curation of props and also styling for impact and sometimes we can feel like we're not great storytellers, right? And so you don't have to feel compelled to you know, tell this really deep story <laughs> you know, with each of your images. Sometimes that storytelling might just be conveying a particular color story mm-hmm. that plays off some of the colors in your packaging, for example, through the application of color theory. So maybe you're using complementary colors, and maybe you're using a monochromatic color scheme. And for me, that always stops me in my tracks when I can tell that somebody carefully thought through exactly how they were going to to you know, kind of bring that image to life and style that image because they're playing off of the colors that are already naturally present in the packaging of that particular item, um, beverage item, food, especially with foods too. It can be hard sometimes to find things that naturally fit. And so playing off yeah. of color is great.
0: Yeah. And I like that you you talk about storytelling not, not needing to be... I guess I'm going to go back to this coffee example. Like, you know, okay. I've got my bag of beans of coffee yes. and they're spilling out. And <laughs> I've got my, right. like, you know, cup with some movement in it and my coffee and my my spoon. And, you know, I've got I've got all that down. Mm-hmm. But my story doesn't necessarily have to be about the coffee farmers and my farm direct sourcing and how I'm right. paying above living wage and on and on. Like maybe my story is just, like, how wonderful was it to start the day with coffee?
1: Right, exactly, exactly. I, I it can be like as the, simple, as deep as you want it to be.
0: Yeah. But Yeah. That makes me a little relieved to mm-hmm. know that not every image needs to be deep. Right,
1: exactly. And plus you need to have some variation in all the images that you see. If we all created these really yeah. deep <laughs> You know, images and stories. Then I think that they would lose some of their appeal. Yeah. You need, to, you know, you need variety there mm-hmm. as we're, we're scrolling. scrolling. Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Anything else that you see that really stops you yes. in your tracks? Well, I think across any image that you want to make sure that your images don't look flat. You know, one dimensional, even if it's a flat lay. So you don't want them to look lifeless. You want to um, make sure that you give dimension or shape to your food and beverage project product. Mm -hmm. By making them stand out from the background, right, you can do that through both camera settings that blur the background, but you can also do that through lighting, um, and through layering items in the scene and making sure that you include different textures, because layering and texture really help to make images more dynamic and interesting. It's like you almost want to reach in and touch it. Yes. So when everything's one note, like all smooth, it doesn't have the same appeal as if you have kind of these rougher textures that, you know, you can kind of almost feel.
0: Yes. I feel like a, such a good or like such an example that comes to mind is I feel like someone a few years taught all food bloggers to put tea towels underneath their like plates <laughs> of cookies. And that in itself really yes. added like such wonderful like warmth and texture to yes. these I don't want to call them bland, like they're not they're not Mm -hmm. bland images, but, um, you know, adding in literally like fabric um, to an image allows this this sense of texture and warmth. And I don't know, I I feel like all of a sudden a couple of years ago that just came on the scene. Yes, yes. And then there's so many, since you mentioned fabrics and and
1: napkins and tea towels, there are so many different ways to style them too that can, you know, help to bring interest and can help to draw your eye to other parts of the scene of your image. And, you know, you can have a more formal feel if you fold a napkin, but what Mm -hmm. if you crumple it, you know, or what if you... You know, kind of shred the edge of the towel. One of the things I love to do. And for the longest time, I was looking for um, kind of these linen napkins that had mm-hmm. these frayed edges and I couldn't find them. And then I finally had this aha moment. Why don't I just cut <laughs> the edge off of this you know, napkin that I own and tear yeah. it. And then it kind of just gave it one more texture and just more visual interest yeah. and, and a more casual kind of rustic feel than something
0: that's more formal and yep. folded. So yes. yeah, like in yeah. a napkin <laughs> ring, like a linen napkin, <laughs> right, and a silver right. nap napkin ring gives a yes. very different vibe than one that's got a frayed edge and is crumpled. Yes, um, yeah, yes. I I like that a lot. I think Yikes. it was I th- I don't know if it was you, Kimberly. It maybe was yeah. who okay. um, maybe on your Instagram enlightened me <laughs> to the the trick of either using something like chopsticks or double-sided tape or you know like kind of like tacky stuff to mm-hmm. to secure things like um you know like cans and things that roll around yes. on on flat lays and that that has always st- stood out in my mind it's like oh right F- professional photographers use things behind the scenes like double-sided tape that we have exactly. no idea about yeah. yes 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 and yes
1: <laughs> essential <laughs> to keep things in place I mean there are a lot of you see well you don't see there might be clips hidden there might, there's all sorts of things behind the scenes <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to make it really um to make an image work
0: Yeah. Well, even, you know, I have a lot of beverage clients and I'm like, how the heck do I shoot these cans without them rolling around? And it's like, oh, right. Mm -hmm. Duh. You use some some tacky tacky
1: tape. Yes. Yes. And secure them down. And so there are a lot of different types of um, putty that people might use. So They might be yeah, tacky putty. They might be museum wax that has a stronger hold. So yes, all sorts of tips and tricks to keep those
0: items where you want them. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay, did and, we did we get there on the um on all your your tips on making images stand out? You talked about maybe. the story. You <laughs> I love. I'm <laughs> I'm going to really think about that as I'm creating images like okay. Keeping the story simple potentially and yes. using color to mm-hmm. to um really Think about what I'm what I'm doing in my my storytelling. We talked yes. about what else did we talk about in in images standing we, out? We talked about creating dimension with yes. the texture and layering,
1: yep. and just making sure that they pop up from the background. Which you can also do by blurring your background if you're shooting, say, straight on or at a forty five degree angle. Mm. And I would say the last thing that you can do to that I'll mention at least today yep. to make your images stand out is to ensure that they're beautifully lit, right? So that your lighting mm. Can make or break your image. And if you have a beautifully styled image, but you take it in horrible light, for example, then the image will be grainy, it'll be lackluster. And you can use lighting also strategically to convey a particular mood. And so simply changing the lighting and nothing else about the styling can create a totally different image. So a lot of times you'll see now on Instagram, especially a lot of um, images that are shot with hard light. So you see yeah. those really defined shadows. And it kind of, for me, gives the feel of summertime, you know, or just yep. like this bright sunlight coming in. And so that gives a totally different look than if they have a what's called a soft box or something that kind of diffuses the light or softens the shadows. And you can create beautiful light with a bare bones approach just by using natural window light. You don't mm-hmm. have to use artificial lighting if you don't want to. Just create beautiful light, find the light and go towards the light.
0: (laughs) And make sure what I hear you saying too, is make sure that the light like um, ties in with your, your brand vibe, right? Like if you want to create those summary images, like use the harder light. If you want to create that, that softer, softer vibe, like maybe you're, you're timing it correctly with your, your window light that's coming in naturally.
1: Right. And make sure that it also fits in to go back to the storytelling. So, for example, if you're telling the story of kind of just being in this cozy corner as you're eating your soup with your, you know, cable knit sweater or blanket (laughs) around, then maybe you have a more moody scene and you have darker tones and you have your lighting such that there are more shadows. And it kind of creates that warmer, warmer feel.
0: Yes. Oh, I love it, Kimberly. You have given me yes. so many things to think about today. I'm, I'm I, I want to throw my workload out the window and, <laughs> and go play around with my camera. Yes, um, go play. Yes, I would love that. If only. So, Kimberly, right. where, right. where can people find you? I know, I know, my yes. audience would love to keep in touch. So, so where do you hang out online, and where can they find you? Okay, so online, you can find me on
1: Instagram at k murray photo. And you can find me on my website or blog at KimberlyMurray.com. And also, if you're interested in learning more about flat lay photography and kind of get an in-depth study of flat lay photography, then you
0: can find me on my course page at FlatLayPlay.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to link all of those in our show notes. And Kimberly, I can't wait for the next time we're we're in touch. Thanks again for thank coming you. on the podcast. Thanks again for having me. My pleasure. Okay. Okay, my whizzes, I, I hope today's show with Kimberly helped you move in the right direction with your photography goals this year. And like I said, I'm so grateful for the time that she spent with us today. So if you like her style, you have got to check out her blog and Flatlay Play, her super quick super helpful course on creating those dream shots for your brand. So like I said, find her info in the show notes and then come and continue the conversation in our food biz Wiz Facebook group, which I'll also link right here. So I would love to see the images that you create. If you end up taking her advice, if you post them on Instagram, make sure to tag me at it's Allie ball and Kimberly at K Murray photo. That is Murray with an A. Okay. So thanks as always for tuning in this week. And I will see you right back here next week for episode number 78. Have a good one and I'll see you soon.
1: Thank you for listening to Food Biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z, W-I-Z.com. For detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.